this is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner of Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and producer of Counter Stories. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Malax panel of Jibway and Luz Maria Frias couldn't be with us today. And, um, and, and I know she's going to be very, very, very remorseful at missing yet what something that has become one of our mainstays and actually a favorite of our, our listeners, and that is our grab bag episodes. We know often that when we get together with our, our peers, particularly in communities of color, conversations don't go in an ordered, sequential, linear way. Things are just going to go wherever they go. And so one of the reasons I love our grab bag episodes is because they feel more like what happens when we're sitting in the backyard uh, with a couple slabs on the grill you know, pontificating on the world. So we've got a few things to talk to you today on our grab bag episode from uh, a, a review of a review of a movie, Prey, all the way to those racist Disney performers from back in March who are now resurfacing yet again. Force, that's going to force us to ask the question. Now that we are growing in our consciousness, um, there's a whole lot more things that are going to come across the table that we're going to be able to look at with a critical lens. So, so let's jump right in. Uh, recently, um, Lee, you sent us uh, a review of the movie Prey. If you um, are, are unfamiliar with it, it's the latest in the Predator movie franchise. If you remember back to uh, the days of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny Glover in the original Predator movies, um, this schmaltzy sci-fi classic that is one of my favorites, the classic series, um, now at has a- At least a, that first uh, one, Anthony. At, at least that. Well, I will say the second one. Hey, there's something about being in Detroit, going toe to toe with the Predator, Danny Glover's uh, old behind that that just gave me smiles and chills. But anyway, um, the most recent movie takes place in 1719 um, uh, United States uh, and uh, among the Comanche tribe, going toe to toe with the Predator beast at this time. So we get to see kind of a, a, a an old school take on the Predator franchise. However. Um, a, uh, a reviewer, um, the quote, who names themselves, quote unquote, the Hollywood scholar, scholar gave a review that before we even saw the movie left a lot of our heads going, scratching, going, what? Because there's a lot of what was said in here that was problematic even before watching the movie. So let's dive right into that review, y'all. Um, as we read that review and the review, uh, was, was found in the, uh, Geeks and Gamers um, and so if you want to go and take a look at it there, you can. Um, but the review does a few things. It's very clear that the reviewer does not like the movie, but then we go on to refer to things, um, for one, uh, uh, referencing a Comanche squaw, um, uh, saying that a child could have made this story, that it made absolutely no sense, and all these issues that they had because the story wasn't told in the way they might have told it prompting many folks online to call yet again the fact that oftentimes white cisgender males who do these reviews are often do not like movies especially involving folks of color because they don't get it or it doesn't it doesn't hit them in a way that is home or normal to themselves so what came up with you from y'all when y'all were looking at this review i haven't seen the movie it's not quite my genre um, so a friend shared the review with me um, after, and we talked about this on another one of our shows when Turning Red came out, 
there was a cis white movie reviewer who said it was terrible because it was about it was unrelatable an Asian girl in Toronto uh, that it was too unrelatable and that that made it a bad movie and so here we are again uh, with another cis white male um, he he literally wrote this is one of the dumbest movies ever created. And he goes on and on about how terrible everything is and it's not historically correct. And um, and so I was interested and I looked up some other reviews and there were good reviews. So I was like, huh, that's, you know, but really, of course, what took me immediately was his, his use of the slur. And there is an editor's note at the end of the article and it says, a staff member has brought to our attention, and I don't think it was a staff member, it was like a ton of community people, uh, mm-hmm. brought to our attention <laughs> that the term squaw is considered a racist term for Native Americans in the modern day. It was used in this article in its historical context as a term for a Native American woman because the movie takes place in the 1700s, and we will not remove it. Now let me read the sentence. Prey follows the story of Naru, a Comanche squaw who is repeatedly told she's better than everyone else in her community at everything except hunting. It's also not true, but keep going. (laughs) When I I read that, well, after, after wading through the first two paragraphs of his reaction to the movie, I thought, you know, who is this guy? And uh, but then when he got to the description where he was talking, actually talking about the movie, and he opened up with that sentence, and he opened up with the use of Comanche squaw, I I just, I, I literally stopped and thought, who the hell is this guy? And it because the first two paragraphs, like you said, Hilly, were extremely everything was negative. And then the whole the whole entire piece was written from his tiny little perspective on I don't know I mean it it, it was hard to gauge other than you know he clearly didn't like the movie but his interpretations of what he saw is what really bothered me because yeah he's infusing his white maleness on a cultural setting that he has no understanding about, no degree of of, uh, knowledgeable anything about um, what was transpiring in that movie, because I've seen the movie. And, you know, it was, without giving away the plot or anything, the fact that they had a female Native American who kind of carried this movie... um, in a genre we normally don't see Native American or people of color for that fact, but especially Native Americans, we never see Native Americans portrayed in a genre like this, but portrayed in a historically, in a historic mode where it was like, wow, right? Now, there was some give and take with the story and um and with what her role was within the tribe and how she was navigating around that but his interpretation of that was to refer to her as this whiny individual you know i mean it was like when i read that part i was going you know this guy clearly 
does not understand what was happening in his movie. Not at all. And, and go ahead, Anthony. I, I need to. I need to add into there, you know, again, um, there we're going to avoid spoiler alerts as we talk about this, but it, it's, it's yet again an example of the tone deafness in the, in, the, in the absence of context, as you said, and nuance, as you said. One of the things that he says it is, it is, in his article is that this, this, this mundane and, and slug of, of inconsistent language, because it swapped back and forth between, um, between oh. English and Comanche with <laughs> oh, no mention. God, yeah. right? No mention. <laughs> Of no mention, I just want to point out that there was no mention of the Europeans in the movie that were speaking French, French. fur trader dialects of French. So exactly. they got so specific as to speak not just French, right. but French fur trader dialects going in and out of English. No conversation about that part of it. None whatsoever. Um, which, which to me was the most weird space. So, so this is 1719. So if you want to talk about historical space, yes, the Comanche are speaking English and having to to and 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 are and are bringing in some of those cultural elements. So this assumption that that it's historically inaccurate because they should only be speaking Comanche that 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 whole entire time, as if these folks aren't multilingual. Folks were picking up languages pretty consistently. It's only a modern convention in the United States that we're a mo well, as modern. No, 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 as no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. I have to jump in here because. The way they did that in the movie was so that the audience could understand what they were talking about. Exactly. That's the only reason why exactly. they used English. There is a there is a version of this film that is in total Comanche with English Ooh. subtitles. So if you notice, say so when you see, and I'm not gonna spoil the movie, but they were speaking Comanche. And then what they did for the audience is they switched to English. So it, well, so they weren't, this, me, but they, but they weren't speaking English because they were speak because they knew how to speak English. The movie itself switched to English so the audience well, could You follow. as the viewer needs to understand exactly. that they're actually hold on, hold on, speaking hold on, hold on. their language. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I, I I take the absolute point when it's when they're just in the in the spaces where it's other Comanche folks. But in the exchange, in the exchange with the French fur traders, it was absolutely common at that time to default to uh to 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 English in spaces where you couldn't where the French could speak, you know, Comanche and Comanche couldn't speak French. English was definitely picked up as a language amongst folks to try to figure out how to communicate. And what you would get is this hodgepodge of both French, English, and, and indigenous languages. That is a real thing as folks are trying to figure out how to speak languages. And it was funny because the French person who actually figured out how to communicate in that space, if you look real closely, they 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 a little darker than the rest of their French friends, which was often used um, uh, uh, during during those times because folks who had to who was forced more than anybody else to be multilingual. I actually think there was quite a bit of historical accuracy in that exchange. He said everything should be in Comanche. Can you imagine him watching this if if that was true? No, he would never watch this and review this movie. It would never even come on his radar if that was the way it is. Second. Lots of movies do this when these movies are take that take place in other um, countries. So Isle of Dogs is a uh, is a good example. The movie by Wes Anderson, twenty eighteen, one of my favorite movies, and it, it says right at the beginning, 
I mean, I, I obviously he he knew he had to say this. I guess was that um, everything has been translated to English, so that people know, like, okay, this takes place in a city in Japan. Why is everybody speaking English? It's because you just have to understand that that's what they're speaking. It's the same thing with movies with animals that speak, right? They go meow meow, but then there's a voiceover for us viewers to understand <laughs> what the meow meow means. And okay, my last but point certain is movies get praised for it. Yes. <laughs> but the thing is he kept saying it was historically inaccurate. But he doesn't tell us what was accurate then because he himself does not know. He just assumes. <laughs> Well, you know, the problem... Say that to every sci-fi show and film that tries to have a back-in-time component to it. Exactly. I mean, you know, when he was picking, I mean, he was really reaching to do a disservice to this this film that he obviously did not like. And, and, um, but to reach, you know, I I agree with you, Hilly. I'm reading this thing and I'm thinking, uh, you know, he's making these blatant statements about the inaccuracy. Although I do have to admit, even you know, when I watched that film, there were some there were some things that that you know I know I'm watching this sci-fi film. I know it's taking place in an, in in uh in our in our land, right? As the French and other Europeans are beginning to increase their number here, and there's more interactions. So, but. I think what threw me at first was when they when they first announced that they were Comanche. But I'm looking mm-hmm. at how, you know, where they filmed this and and there was a lot of wooded area, there was some open area prairie, but there was a scene where there were there uh there were some bison that that had been killed and mm-hmm. stripped of their fur, right? Skinned and then left to rot in the sun. And so mm-hmm. So, of course, in my mind, I'm thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, Comanche, Comanche were down in the Southwest with the, you know, down there in New Mexico and Arizona. And, and I'm thinking, you know, and I'm sure bison may have got that far, but I don't remember a lot of wooded areas kind of like what I'm seeing in the movie. So, but, you know, I think they, they, like many other tribes, probably, um, followed the food source and that food source would have brought them up maybe because with the with the interaction with these french voyeurs i'm thinking well wait a minute them them dudes were up here you know up here around minnesota wisconsin michigan you know hunting beaver and all that and interacting with the ojibwe whatever how did they come across Mm -hmm. this comanche tribe so so i'm just thinking you know what but migration and all that you know and and following it could have happened to your point, you 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 brought you brought that point up earlier. I think it was it's an excellent point, right? At some point, in order to get the predator in there, that'd be a boring predator movie taking place in the great just the plains area. You need some woodland to have a good predator movie. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so the predator's gonna hide somewhere. But I yeah. think you know what this reviewer was missing, however, was the fact that it was with this tribe. And with a young woman in a tribe attempting and um, attempting to do something that at that time period and even up to now, um, women aren't seen or or 
being prepared to be hunters. And so, and that's the premise of the movie, was this young Comanche woman who was doing all the things that traditionally and historically in that time, you know, women weren't women weren't playing the role of hunters and she wanted to be a hunter. And so, and that's basically the premise of the movie was her showing to her people that she could do it, which um, the um, reviewer called her a whiner. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing that, that, that stood out to me too on the gendered side of things, because, um, he paints a picture as if her only reason for doing it is because she was told that she couldn't. And while right. while there's some interactions that will that 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 speak to that, that's that's a very like surface level um, space to that, right? If you want to go do something, right, you are often, you know, th- there are reasons why, and and there are reasons why she made the choices she did. I'm trying to avoid the spoilers here. Um, that are so much yeah. more than I just want to do it because somebody told me that I can't, and nobody actually told her they were can't. They were honest about the fact that right now you suck at it, right? But we all know, those of us who watch Predator movies, the be- the person at the beginning well, of the movie is not the same person at the end. That's the whole premise of the movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger exactly. started as a soldier, became a hunter. Donald Glover started as a police officer, became a hunter, and each of them earned the respect. It's like it's the, the movies themselves, the Predator franchise, the whole, the whole like trick that the, the nut trick but the the whole point about it is going toe to toe with this race of predator beings who are going on walkabout to prove themselves and then they go toe to toe with humans and figure out oh there's some of y'all like we can respect that's the whole predator premise so like and, where and else not, do you think this not, is going and not just <laughs> and not just that anthony i mean i'll give you a modern day example of not someone not being a hunter right and that's me. So, you know, a few <laughs> years ago, I'm up at Malax, and, mm-hmm. you know, I had actually went up there to set a net, right? It was spring, and I set a net to catch walleye with our hunting and fishing rights. And so after bringing in my fish, we're standing around where you, where you bring your fish in. They get weighed the whole nine yards. And there's these elder elders around me um, and others from uh, the tribe. And so they were talking about hunting. They were talking about deer hunting. And so I, you know, jumped up, I stepped in and I looked at him. I said, you know, I have never hunted deer before in my life. I'd love to go hunting with you guys. (laughs) And they, they all looked at me. There were about four or five guys. They all looked at me and took about two steps back. (laughs) <laughs> Never said a word, but that was real clear to me that I wasn't a hunter and they weren't about to take me out in the woods. You know, and I had to think about that. I wasn't offended at the time, but I thought, damn, man, you know, this is, you know, how are you supposed to learn whatever? But then, you know, I think about it. I'm out there in the woods with a gun. I've never hunted. And I start blasting away at everything that moves. Them guys were fearful of their of their safety, right? So not everyone's a hunter. So, you know, for me to watch this this film, it made sense to me, you know. 
Here's a role that a gender role that generally doesn't happen. She's trying to make that happen. I understand now a little bit more. I still haven't hunted, but I know a lot goes into it. And we see her progress and learn through the movie. So I thought it was fantastic, right? And and keep in mind, I, I want us to be clear that you know you can like this movie, dislike this movie. You know we're not we're not we're not coming at at whether or not he should have or shouldn't have liked the movie, but we're pointing out very specific things that were written in the review of it that make at least my BIPOC radar go up because it's it, it marks of so many of these reviews that we have seen that just don't get. Um, don't mm-hmm. get some of the things that we see and expect that this that all of this movies and all of these things should be in service to one myopic monocultural view of the world. And that's where we're calling, you know, shenanigans on. I I have to 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 add into this, right? If we if we want to look at some stories that are told to us in bogus way, um, we now have to keep unpacking stories that we have some of us may have grown up with, some of not. Many of you may be familiar with the story of Emmett Till. This may seem like a forced digression, but hear me out, okay? <laughs> because in the same way that many folks are tone deaf in um, in the way that they review our movies, even our actual historical stories get some of the same treatment, where we actually have the facts and the details. And we still can't get no justice even in those real lived mm-hmm. stories. Recently, the woman who, who falsely accused and pointed out, um, you know, uh, uh, Emmett Till... Um, and is these and is was the cause, right? I guess white supremacy would say would be the cause, but she was definitely one of the tools um, that that um, who accused Emmett Till um, and lied about Emmett Till, lied in court, was recently brought up on charges, um, and of on you know to to some the grand jury it says the grand jury de- declines to indict Carolyn Bryant Donham, the woman who accused whose accusations led to the murder of Emmett Till. So even in our own real historical stories, we're having to continually deal with how those stories are told and retold and what do we do about what comes forward in them. Uh, some, we brought this, Lee, you brought this in, in, in front of us, but you know what comes up for you when you see that she wasn't charged or the grand jury decided not to indict, which to me makes sense, but I want to hear your, your perspective. Right. I mean, the first thing you think of is like, what? That doesn't make any sense. She, what she said and did cause this young boy his life. When I read that the charges against her was kidnapping and manslaughter, to me in my brain, that didn't make sense, right? Uh, she She made false claims that ended a person's life and she lied in court. In court, she described in detail what happened or what she, what, what quote unquote happened. And just because it's been a long time, she still needs to be held responsible for that. And so the charges of kidnapping and manslaughter, I, I agree that, you know, it's hard to charge her with that. Well, no, I, I don't know, Hilly. I mean, my, you know, my reaction was the same. I was pissed that, that uh, this individual was not indicted. But when I looked at what they were trying to indict her on, I had, even I had to, even I questioned why they brought those charges forward, mm-hmm. kidnapping and manslaughter. Because, you know, while she was 
definitely an accessory to that, right? Because it was her husband and, and others who who uh, kidnapped Emmett, uh, beat him, and then shot him, and then dumped his body in the in the river. Um, and I'm sure she was well aware of, of, of what happened. It was the fact that she perjured herself, right? And and so a part of me, a, a part of me, you know, I think often in our in our communities, we want to see our tormentors, our oppressors, the folks who are killing us, we want to see them held accountable. We already know that a jury in uh, Mississippi acquitted those individuals because I think less than a year later, they admitted to killing Emmett in a, in a Life magazine interview, right? They admitted to killing Emmett Till. Um, no one has been held accountable for his death. I think she's the last surviving member. The fact that they actually found a warrant that was issued for her arrest shortly after it happened, and mm -hmm. that resurfaced, um, begs that some kind of justice happen. And so were the charges mismatched? You know, I think they were also. I mean... And I don't know what was presented in the grand jury test, so it's hard to get into the specifics, but I know it just deals another blow to our psyche. The fact and that we know this person's mm -hmm. guilty. Well, we, we, I don't, there's a of couple of things there, and it's right? really unfortunate. <laughs> well, something, yeah, yeah. And it's unfortunate that, that Luz couldn't be with us to, to like give us the, the defined point. Yes. Um, but uh, there's a CNN mm -hmm. article where, um, a cousin who witnessed uh, uh, Emmett Till's abduction, uh, uh, abduction Reverend uh, Wheeler Parker Jr., um, said that, you know, they kept their promise by bringing this latest piece of evidence before the grand jury. This outcome is unfortunate. This is a quote in an article by CNN, uh, but predictable news. Um, and and mm -hmm. I want to point out that, that mm -hmm. to your point, Don, you know, if you're going to it bring the grand jury around something. Um, you can't bring it around stuff that has statutes of limitation. So unfortunately, um, you know, I think the, and, and Luz will have to come back behind us and correct this. Um, but I think it's five years for perjury in, 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 depending on when, when you talk about, so there's certain things that folks, unfortunately, just by the nature of time can get away with. There's some that you have a lot more time to be able to bring up, but, but this also speaks to, for but me, doesn't that vary by state though, Anthony? It does vary by state. I'm being specific to Mississippi. Okay, all right. Yeah, I'm being specific to Mississippi, but but um, in but this particular area, there was a area, warrant. Right, there was a warrant. But, but this is this is one of those insidious things that that white supremacy has hid itself behind. Right, I can do just enough to push the mechanisms in place, but as long as it's diffuse enough. Where I can, where I can, I can technically not be proven of this one of being the one who pushed the button, but I set up all of the, all of the scenarios in which the button can be pushed all across America. How many, how many people mm -hmm. have been lynched? Because well, wait a minute. Uh, a I thought we were talking about Emmett Till and not what's currently happening. <laughs> I see what you did there. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know yep. me. Keeping I, it 100. I, I'm just saying what you just described home. there is is what we are currently dealing with. 
I would say it's even happening in our classrooms. How many times have I had black children, indigenous children, come to me and I have to work with their parents and walk with them into a school because somebody who has been picking on this student over and over again relentlessly in all the ways that can't be seen or can't be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt or I didn't mean that that they couldn't afford it. I just brought up the question of whether or not they could afford their lunch. And they just got mad at me, even though I've done that every single year, fomenting all of this stuff. And so then when the kid mm-hmm. finally puts, you know, comes to a head and says, you ain't going to do this no more and stands up to you, now you play the victim, right? I, I have mm-hmm. seen the same mechanisms happen, even in school. So when you talk about bringing it to today, I'm... I'm Absolutely. And I think this is the hard piece. How do you hold folks accountable? And we want to use the legal system to do it, but the legal system has limits. They got to work within a very specific set of parameters, mm-hmm. even though we know the the dog whistle, we know the 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 tactics that can't can't be proven beyond a shadow of a doubt in court, but you know for a fact how it tees itself up to 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 do what it does. And you know, you know, I think what makes it frustrating for us is that we just went through um, Aubrey's, uh, the mm-hmm. the men that killed Aubrey mm-hmm. down in Georgia, right? In Brunswick, in, in Brunswick Georgia, were um, sentenced in federal court, right? So we have a situation where, where finally, finally we saw some justice against right. white men killing mm-hmm. a black male we that played out in court we 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 sat through those hearings we they were convicted they're guilty and even and but for Emmett this has been going on I, this happened what in 1955 I was born in 1954 probably about four about five six months before this happened. So this has been happening my entire lifetime. And we still, you know, it 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 saddens me that there may not ever be anyone held accountable mm-hmm. for that. That is a very important point. We have to remember that an all-white jury acquitted the men that everybody knows did it. That in a, and, and, and even made their confessionals later in magazine. We know who killed Emmett Till. Everybody there know who killed Emmett Till. Kim Till's cousin said it in the middle of the court when they asked, uh, um, do you see the man who, the, who killed Emmett Till? And, and he pointed and said, Darhi, right? We know who killed Emmett Till and then never saw justice. And so again, to your point, Don, you know, we, we people are trying to take whatever they can to get folks to held accountable. But can you imagine the precedent that would be set if we held false accusers liable in the death of the, fo- I mean, because we, we, we are so sure mm-hmm. of the outcomes of white supremacy during the time that to make this accusation, you, you, you were almost assured that it was going to lead to some kind of, viol- kind of violence. There were whole towns wiped off the map because of the false testimony and the false accusations of white women. And we don't talk about any of that. And, and just to keep the, the cinema line through all of this, this is part of the reason why when I went to go see Django, now I know everybody's got problems with Django, right? But when I went to go see it, there was a part of that movie where Those me and my role folks were not era appropriate. That's what I'm they're saying. They're not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but 
I'm sorry, just a part parenthetically, but notice that nobody called out Inglorious Bastards, which again was historical fiction that just was somebody's mindset of what mm-hmm. revenge could look like. That's Django was the same thing. It wasn't attempting to try to be this this historical pick, but there's so few accurate right. accurate movies depicting it that we we glab onto it and try to try to act make it be part of our historical learning. Anyway, there's a scene in Django at the end where he looks down and he says, Goodbye, Miss Laura. And the two sisters are like, bye, Miss Laura. And he blows Miss Laura away. The woman for whom the whole Candyland process was built was also named to be accountable for the debauchery that was happening there. And there were folks who were so mad. Why did Miss Laura have to get shot? She didn't do anything. And if you go through, Miss Laura never said, I want you explicitly to do that for me. Oh, but she took all the benefits. She she hinted at all the things. She 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 set up the whole scenario and story in a way that you could never say she specifically called for it, even though she did it in every other way possible that's not saying the exact words. This is, you know, there's an accountability thing here that I think folks are really hoping for to finally at least have something historically call out. Um and and right. and shame the devil. <laughs> In this regard, and that and that's just you know you said it really well, Don. That's this is another area where we're disheartened by that years later. Um, when the documents were found about this woman, it was what two three months ago, something like that. It was it was very recent when it was finally mm-hmm. discovered, like in the basement of the courthouse or something. Everybody was so excited, and it was one of those things where I was just like, let's not get too excited. You know, I do that. I get so excited. I'm like, this is what's gonna. You know, this is what's going to get her. This is what's going to get us justice. And so, like Emmett's cousin said in that CNN article, it wasn't a surprise. And that's the that's the worst part, is that we feel like we found this incredible piece of evidence and nothing happens. And to, to be fair, he said that afterwards, but also beforehand. Um, one of the mm. things in the lead-up to the grand jury um, uh, proceedings as well was saying, here's another attempt, but but there are folks who are already, you know, showing the outcomes, like, this is what you can do, because there's other tools that aren't at our disposable, are at a disposal being so late after the fact. But let's remember, let's remember that we here in Minnesota, where we're recording this, even though folks may be hearing this internationally, um, we're in a state where we've had the same experience happen. A, a, a woman falsely mm-hmm. accused... Um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, circus workers in, in 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 Duluth, Minnesota, where I pastor, leading to the lynching of the three men in Duluth, and so um, it publicly, right? So this is not an innocuous thing. Rosewood, um, Okoe, um, um, even in Tulsa, all of them are rooted in these false accusations, and in the times where they didn't have, and then so much so that then white women were scapegoated by white men who wanted to do a lynching and have a reason mm-hmm. that would get them off, mm-hmm. and then they would claim, and they would make one of their their white family members, they would make up a story for her and say, hey, you need to tell this story and stand behind this story um, to try to make you, so, so again, we have another example here of the folks who are receiving disservice by the current system you know, um, standing up and being a part of that same system, you know, voting against yourself, working against yourself. So there's a lot of there's a lot of hurt here. I, I would offer for anybody who gets the chance, go to the National um, Museum of African American History by the Smithsonian 
And when you start at the bottom, you can start at the top or the bottom. You can start anywhere you want. But I would highly advise you to start at the bottom. Walk through the from the arrival of Africans to this continent, uh, at least forced arrival, because there's evidence that they were here mixing mm-hmm. it up with indigenous peoples way before that. But but the, the start of the forced arrival of African peoples. And when you come up to the center point, as you begin to go up the levels, you're going to come to a Emmett Till Memorial. And you'll get to, to, to put yourself in the footsteps of those who walked by. Let us not forget and lift up the courage of the folks around Emmett Till. His mother put his body on display in an open casket so that they could see what they had done to her son. And it helped folks who may have been on the fence understand differently the, the violence in Mississippi. Remember, Mississippi at one point had... Um, black folks outnumbered uh, white folks in Mississippi eight to one, which is why Mississippi had some of the most egregious and violent rules on the law books in re- as it pertains to black peoples all throughout slavery and in Jim Crow because of trying to keep this captive after having disappeared, the native peoples had to keep this captive uh, community in, in its place. And this would lead to even just to c- kind of connect our stories you know, when when the Freedom Riders get onto the bus and try to go fill up Parchin Prison to to so that they couldn't disappear black folks and use it uh, in that way, part of the impetus for that was that people saw the images from Emmett Till and they would respond to them. They would call it out as part of their reasoning for getting involved in the first place. So just in case you're wondering uh, throughout history that we only talk about white bad actors— yeah, the, Emmett Till didn't just inspire people of color and indigenous people in the United States to, to, to fight. It inspired a whole lot of white folks to go and try to interrupt this messed up institution mm-hmm. in the South. So we all are have rooted and have a stake in this. It's not just the family and it's not just people of color. Right. Agreed. Well said. So as we grow in our racial consciousness, as we grow in our understanding of full history, we are going to then be able to turn around and see when folks haven't learned these lessons. So, Hlee, you put which in is front a lot, of us which as is our a media lot. guru. <laughs> you put in front of us, and this happened in March, but it's coming up on, 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 on feeds again as we continue to hear um, racist rhetoric and the lead up to the, to the elections and all these things. A group of kids uh, <laughs> in fringe chanting, scalp them, Indian, scalp them. Doing and doing dance. this dance at a Disney park, you know, and this only happened in March. So even though we are growing in our quote unquote wokeness and consciousness, some folks still ain't getting the memo. So Lee, how did you come about this video? So a few weeks back, um, a lot of headlines about racist Disney and Sesame Street characters ignoring little black children who try to meet them. Um, and so in preparation for today's show, I Googled it to try to bring up and, you know, get myself all the facts. And this showed up um, in a Newsweek article that was published back in March. And it was a bunch of kids. It, it, they were doing some sort of march um, and singing. The Indianettes. They're a Texas high school, uh, Texas high school um, cheerleading parade routine. Yeah, and they were kind of doing their little parade through Disneyland. And, uh, yeah, at Disney Parks. And, you know, they got through the whole song. Like, nobody ever thought, oh, hold hold on. Like, if I was there, I'd been like, wait, 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 wait. Right? But nobody, it just, the kids were smiling as they said it, you know. And I just thought, oh, my God, I can't believe this is still happening. 
right? And then, and and that's a whole different thing than what happened with the the characters ignoring the black kids. But this, I just thought, I couldn't believe I hadn't heard it about it earlier because it is insane. Not the war cry. <laughs> We've had and we've had Tara Husko on the show, who's who's an, uh, an attorney and and and, and works um, nationally on 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 issues. She she says in the tweet in her tweet because a bunch of kids in fringe chanting "Scalpum Indian, Scalpum is honor," right? <laughs> And any natives who attend uh, whatever P- that acronym is should probably just accept their classmates to humanizing them because tradition, right? <laughs> Shame on Disney Parks hosting this nostalgic race. <laughs> hosting this nostalgic racism is racism. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Incredible. Absolutely incredible. And the fringe, the the padding of the 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 tapping of the mouth in the in the in the war cry, oh, making that whoop cry, mm-hmm. and the whoop cry. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was, it was like, hel- this is. I couldn't it believe was- it. I mean, <laughs> Helly sent that clip when I clicked on it, and I'm going, "What? Are you kidding me? There's still exactly my doing this? especially at a Disney <laughs> hey, park, and there's so many of them." And they're all got what, this big grin on their face. I tell you what, they didn't violate any of the um, uh, uh, <laughs> curriculum in Texas. Mm. Oh, it's mm-hmm. horrible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely horrible. I so, feel like the person who wrote this song is the same person who wrote that review we talked about earlier. He just seemed like somebody who hates indigenous people so much. <laughs> I don't know who wrote this song, but they seem to hate indigenous people so much. That's my. Yeah. That's what I get when I hear it. What was the name of that school? Because obviously the or their mascot. Because you know this was kind of like a cheerleading squad doing a parade through yeah. Disney Park, and they obviously were 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 honoring their their uh, um, mascot, which is you know which which this type of behavior just adds fuel to indigenous communities when we fight to have these schools drop these kind of mascot names because then we get that stupid kind of behavior. You know, I so mean... So they are, um, yeah. The Indianettes are from <laughs> Port Neches Grove. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yep. Port Neches Grove Independent School High District. School. And it's been a tradition for more than 50 years, it says. It's been a tradition for 50 years. Have they been singing this song for 50 years and we just heard it now due to social media? Who knows? 50 years. I mean, you know, it brings back, it brings back, you know, all kinds of, uh, we have all kinds of mascots and similar type activities where colleges and universities, especially, you know, in the SEC down (laughs) You know, I can just name the teams, you know, the Florida Seminoles, the, you know, even here in the Big Ten, Illinois used to have their mascot, which was Chief Inuwik. And and they would, you know, beat the, I mean, it just goes on and on and on. But the fact that this happened just in March, 
in Disney mm-hmm. and, and Disney Park, which you know, from from my understanding, Disney has been trying to change that racial image that they portray in in many of their their fantasy cartoons and right. and, and they movies. put like dis, like like disclaimers. Yeah, ahead of and, movies, and they've been trying their best to kind of to kind of clean that up, and um. But yet then they have this, or they have employees, like you mm-hmm. said, Hilly, in these other videotapes, who clearly were, were um, dismissing black children that were coming up to them to greet them, because these kids are kids. They're excited to see these cartoon um, heroes, images, you know, they're running up in this gleeful joy to be totally ignored, I mean, and stepped away from and not engaged with. I mean, though, when I saw those, those hurt. I mean, this 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 clip of the of the parade made me laugh that it was so stupid, right? It it made me laugh. But watching those clips of those employees actually brought pain. That that hurt me. And some of the defense was like, well, the only people who are mad are, are Native American people. No one else seems upset by this, you know. Or the Disney spokesperson said that the audition tape the school provided was a different song than this song. But don't they have rehearsals? I remember being in marching band and yes. we rehearsed around a place before we actually put the show on. So, you know, excuses, it, it, excuses, excuses. But, you know, and this this is one of the problems that we face because we could have all the issues that we want with this. And unfortunately, there are parts of our country where folks just don't have to care and there is no consequence for it. I'm sorry. Like, there may be some backlash for Disney. They may not get invited back to do the parade for a while <laughs> um, or, you know, but I, often, I, I, I guarantee you at some point they're going to win some competitions and get invited back. And they're just going to tell them that it has to be culturally appropriate. And they'll do something that just doesn't have any regard to folks of color and be fine. Like. This is this is the hard pill to swallow with this, or even the pattern of of as you, that you brought up, uh, Don of of uh, kids of color getting ignored or getting treated certain kind of ways at these different parks because people bring with them their biases, they bring with them their 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 prejudices, they bring with them their their uh, unconscious racism, right? Because there's 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 the overt stuff, and then there's the stuff that, and I think this unfortunately is a perfect example of that. They had no concept or care about what this represents to to native folks all right no no native folks were involved in the making of this incident and several native and all native folks are hurt by the making of this incident and that's something that we have to live with as <laughs> as as people of color i i want to ask you this question though you know cuz cuz disney has also had to change even its jungle cruise um and had to go through and do some spot checking and cleaning now that they've got they're growing in diversity employment-wise. This is one of the things that, that you know, folks aren't necessarily talking about. The folks who are making it to these tables, their tables, their, their curators and all these things, that is diversifying. And it is causing folks to have to go back and redress some of these old movies, some of these, you know, old ways of thinking now that this new consciousness is present. Very clearly, there are still holes in the cracks. Just like mm-hmm. uh, what we were talking about in the first moment of review to our even historical stories, to now, there are still holes in the cracks. And so, or so cracks in the, in, the, in the foundation where these things are slipping through. So I'm just curious, you know, from Prey to, to the no charges for the woman who accused Emmett Till to the Indianettes. 
performing at the Disney park. <laughs> I, I got to check in, you know, with y'all to say, you know, what do you, what, you know, what should be our approach? Cause these things are going to keep happening. We're going to keep seeing folks in the inertia of our past hit us in the face like this. What should we do? Now, if you think about the, the, the more recent, um, instances that happened at Disney and at Sesame World or whatever with the Sesame character, um, two little black girls go up to the character who, uh, in the Sesame Street example, like literally puts his hand up to their face and keeps walking after he had high-fived a bunch of kids and adults, right? Or he or she, who knows what the, the Muppet is. And then the, the other Disney example was the Rapunzel who walked away from two little black girls who were so excited they were like oh my god it's Rapunzel and they went running and they were so excited to meet her and she turned and ignored them even as the mother was saying excuse me ma'am you forgot my daughters my daughters want to meet you and she just kept walking like she didn't hear and every single response from Disney to Sesame is we'll add more training now how many times have we heard that that doesn't give me any 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 confidence at all when people just say, "Well, our, our you know what we're going to do is add training." This, uh, I mean, in twenty twenty one, there is a New York Post article uh, getting getting folks who are on the anti critical race theory side of things all whipped up because Disney put out a plan for its employees called Reimagine, um, Reimagine something, um, uh, Reimagine tomorrow, urging workers to recognize their white privilege because of. And 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 do a bunch of trainings to start to call folks out. Like, you might not even know you're doing this. Let us show you what's going on in that regard. And they got bashed for it. And they retreated from it. And now they're getting hit again for having retreated too far from it. So again, what do we do in a, in in this space? You know, Disney has a whole state in the, in Florida um, who passed the the, the anti gay bill um, that is going to be very problematic. For Disney and Disney's trying to figure out what to what to do in this in the, in the space of all of that. So, uh, not I'm not trying to let Disney off the hook by any means. I'm just saying it's complicated. It's just as complicated as the other nuanced conversations we're having. And I'm wondering, what do we do in the face of this? Like, what what recourse do we have? Well, we don't have any real. I mean, we we continue to do what we're doing, right? We do counter stories. We we point these these things out. We, you know. Nothing. <laughs> uh, it's frustrating because it feels like we take a couple steps forward and then we slide back, right? And then we take a couple steps forward and we slide back. And so for a while, white America was waking up. White America was realizing that there is racial injustice in this country. I mean, it, you know, it, and and all these kind of feel good things were starting to happen rapidly, pop, 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 all over the country, right? And now it's uh, kind of subsided. It's uh, died down. It's we're you know, like I said in our last grab bag, we're kind of back to this business as usual. And so it's up, you know, and and it it pisses me off that it falls on our shoulders, Anthony, to continually hmm. have to point this out, to continually um, have to push. I mean, 
I I, I was one. I, I like TPT. I like public television. But there's a there is a um, a new program which is very unusual. They have a black host traveling the United States. Uh, you know, uh, traveling the country. And the last episode, he was in the Boundary Waters. And not only was that extraordinary, but he found the one brother that lives up in the in, in the Boundary <laughs> Waters that's a birder, right? I mean, and so, but but what was significant about that conversation is that he they talked about what it was like for him to live in that part of Minnesota where he's the only one. Where and and there was also something else on earlier in the day, and I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, but again, it was a it was a conversation from a person of color, a black individual, who again was talking about what it is that they have to do when they leave the city and just move around in um, rural places. And they talk about uh, having to prepare themselves for what may happen, right? Twice on two different occasions, on two different programs, that same sentiment was shared. And it's something that that you know, as as a indigenous black as as BIPOC populations in this country, that's a reality we have to deal with day in and day out as we leave our house. What may happen to me today? What do I have to do to navigate safely through this world so I make it back in my door at the end of the day? Hmm. That's what we have to do. I mean, that's what we have to do just to survive, let alone having to point out all these digressions, all these microaggressions, all these other things that happen to us individually throughout this country day in and day out. And that's not even getting to the systemic, mm. trying to make the <laughs> systemic changes, right? We're just dealing with, with individual personal interactions that we have to deal with day in and day out. And not even getting to the systemic stuff. I'll I mean, show. I think I think that everything you said is true, Don. And as much as as we're out here constantly saying, you know, learn from this situation or what you said or did. Here's how you know it shows your white privilege. You know, it, it's exhausting. It is freaking exhausting, though. You know, and so a lot of times I just go, I don't care about who you are. I don't, you know, I don't know you. I don't care. Whatever. Keep thinking that. And maybe that's on me, right? To be able to, to, you know, I should be teaching folks all the time or something, but it exhausts me. What I think that we could do is what we're doing now is to keep it, you know, to, to call it out. Because the more you call it out, the more people, and especially the corporations are forced to respond Right. The more people say something, the more they're going to have to say something in response to it. And that is how even if though it's really incremental, it's change. You know, it is the, the two steps forward, one step back situation. 
But we also need to keep <laughs> these issues at the top of our feeds, right? I mean, the, the um, Stop Asian Hate movement has really fallen off mm-hmm. the radar, but I'm still mm-hmm. reading about old Asian ladies getting beat up all over. Most like a lot in San Francisco, just because of the the big uh, Asian population there. But Asian elders are still being beat up, you know, for no reason. But it's no longer on our radar, and so we need to just try to remember to keep things on the radar of the media and of the people who uh, the decision makers. Right? We just had a primary um, to to use what we have as far as voting and just making a lot of noise because the people who make the most noise are the ones who get heard. And so even though sometimes <laughs> people always, you know, they ask me, what, you know, when do you turn it off? Or like, does it, is it a race thing? It's like, I, I have to keep saying it or you're not never going to think about it because it doesn't affect you every day. <laughs> yeah. If, as Nikki Giovanni said, if now isn't a good time for the truth, I don't see when we'll ever get to it. But you know, it, I, all of these, all of these things also undergird, and, it, and it's not all disconnected. So part of our task is to bring forward the nuance and complexity and give us a, a, a greater stamina for it. Um, the, we are growing more and more fragile as a nation, as from where I'm sitting, in that you know if we we don't we aren't willing to take the time to understand and to go in the depth and complexity and all of that. When I see folks, even in my as a as a pastor looking in my in my parishioners, the moment somebody brings up um, and has no stomach for for the complexity, right? When everything in the world is going on, right? I I focus on what is the most simple, what is the most uh, what is the easiest to see in front of me, and that's a marker that we are going through some acute trauma. And I think part of the response we get that even makes the Indianettes even happen is is something akin to what we need to address ourselves as a nation. We need to, we 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 have seemed to lost some of that strength. There there may be some of us in the United States that are growing to a to a space of of being so 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 fragile to the notion that somehow I might need to do something different. That everything seems to be a fight and I want to dismiss all of this complex and nuance and think it's going to be some hard thing that I have to, as you please said, somebody told you, you know, do you turn it off ever? Um, I have now come to a space in terms of what do we do? I've now come to a space that Miriam McCabe pointed out for us. Miriam McCabe, well-known South African singer said, I look at an ant and I see myself a native South African endowed by nature with a strength much greater than my size so I might cope with the weight of racism that crushes my spirit. Whether it's the racist article, the refusal to accuse and, and the Emmett to, to, to bring charges against the accuser of Emmett Till, or the Indianettes who think they can walk across Disney and talk about scalpum, we are constantly dealing with the racism that crushes our spirits. But we have to remember, we have to remember that we are also endowed with the strength of those same ancestors to get through day by day. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group and Counter Stories producer. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Malax Banner of Ojibwe Indians. Keep your head up, keep your strength up. This is Counter Stories. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew, the Other Media Group, and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. 
For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.